In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Song, the podcast that asks artists to tell us about songs that changed them or transformed them in some way. Because, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, then you know our basic thesis is that songs can change you. They can blow your mind wide open to new ways of thinking about music and art and life. And these are the songs we want to hear about. My name is Elizabeth McQueen and I'm your host. And today, just let me say from the outset that I know that this is somewhat of an impossible question. Like, how do you isolate a life-changing song when there are so many life-changing songs? Most artists probably have like a book full of life-changing songs, a library full of songs that they can point to that transformed them in some way. But so far, everyone has been game to narrow it down and talk about like one experience, which I'm grateful for because I truly love hearing these stories. Okay, before I get into the episode, let me say that if you dig this podcast and you like the stories that you're hearing and you have a few seconds... We'd love it if you clicked on over to iTunes and left a rating or a review that would help us a lot. And thank you in advance for that. Today we'll be talking to two artists, Glenn Hansard and Gina Chavez. Both were, lucky for me, game to talk about life-changing music, but in different ways. Glenn talked about a specific song and a very specific and quite frankly, extraordinary experience that happened around that song that left him fully secure in the knowledge that he would indeed become a musician. And Gina, on the other hand, opted to talk about not just one song, but a genre of music and a kind of song that helped her find her artistic voice. First, Glenn Hansard. He's a man with this pretty big creative landscape. He's in the band The Frames and in the swell season with Marquetta Erglova. They made that movie once, which is such a great portrait of what it's like to collaborate and write songs and fall in and out of musical love. And And the big song from that was Falling Slowly, and that won an Oscar. And then the movie got turned into a Broadway musical, and that won like eight Tony Awards, plus he's collaborated with Eddie Vedder, and he's done a ton of other stuff, and on top of everything else, he releases records under his own name. His latest solo record, Didn't He Ramble, was just released last week, and it's really a lovely record. By his own admission, it's not filled with a bunch of romantic love songs, but you do feel the love when you listen to it. Love for his family and friends, and for a world in need of forgiveness. I'm, it's great. He came into Studio 1A to perform solo and totally killed it. And I highly recommend listening to those sessions on KUTX.org. And afterwards, he sat down and talked with me about a song, but like more than a song, really about this 
magical experience that he had around this song. And after everything was done, he knew he would be an artist. So here he is, Glenn Hansard. Well, when I was about 14, you know, I'd grown up, my mother always listened to music. She listened to music when she was hoovering. So she used to play music really loud in the house. Hoovering meaning running the vacuum. vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, vacuum, sorry, (laughs) vacuum cleaning, yeah. So, you know, the music would always be playing really loud in the house and and it was always, you know, the animals or or Dylan or, you know, Tammy Wynette. She had a very broad taste, but she was really into music. But I remember my cousin lent me a record and it was a greatest hits hits record of Leonard Cohen. Mm -hmm. And there was something about Famous Blue Raincoat. It's four in the morning, the end of December. I'm writing you now just to see if you're better. New York is cold, but I like where I'm living. Music on Clinton Street all through the evening. I hear that you're building. There was something about the there's an air in the chord. And I remember really just, you know, being completely spellbound by the by the air and the and the distance and the and the, the absolute calm emotion. But there was something in that song that as a as a kid, I really felt like it entered the realm of pure magic, where I could sink into that song and and I was I was transported to a city I'd never been to, which was New York, mm-hmm. um, and it was cold and all the way Leonard sets up the song. He, you know, they say that communication is 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 the the, the talent of communication is is having people see what you see in your mind. So right. you, to use a few words and they, they see what you see. And there was something about that song that really moved me. And I remember as a kid thinking, this is really what I want to do. I want to somehow create an emotional painting that, that creates this space in which the words and the melody are secondary, actually, to this uh, feeling. And there are times in, in my life and have been times in my life when that song is the only song I want to hear on the planet. Oh, the last time we saw you, you looked so much older. Your famous blue raincoat was torn at the shoulder. You'd been to the station to meet every train. Then you came home Are you still kind of fall down a hole with that song, even I, as an adult? I absolutely do. I can play the chords now on the guitar, mm-hmm. and even when I play them, I'm right back to when it, where I was sitting, looking at the record go around and around, and watching the name Leonard Cohen go upside down, <laughs> and come back, and just and, and the picture of him on, on the cover with the smoke, and there's a big sort of smoke ring, and he's, it's just, uh, just an incredible, just an incredible emotional landscape. That, that was created in that song. And, and it made me fascinated but the idea of where he was sitting when he recorded it or 
what was playing in the back, like what room was he in? I'd actually love to know that. I don't know that. What room he was actually sitting in when that song was recorded because there's something so deep. The guitar sounds like it's tuned way, way down, even though it's not because actually I was able to pick out the chords myself while listening to it over and over. I, I found the fingering and I, and I followed Leonard through the song and, and it was one of the first songs I ever learned how to play off a record. I, w- I was g- just going to ask that. You, so you were playing music at the time? You were how old around the time? 14. Okay, so... 13, 14, probably 14, closer to 15 maybe actually. And you were playing music already? You were playing guitar? I was playing guitar. My uncle had given me a guitar, yeah. My uncle had... Uh, he actually hadn't given me a guitar. He had... Uh, he had he taught me a couple of chords and then went to prison oh. uh, and his guitar was left in my house. And so I ended up teaching myself how to play his guitar because it was a beautiful guitar. Um, but then in 1985, Leonard came to Dublin mm-hmm. and I was 15 and I was so excited. And he came and I went with my cousin who had lent me the record and he was like, I'll bring you. And he bought me a ticket. And this was like the biggest thing. Like I was going to see Leonard oh, yeah. Cone, you know. And he was doing he was doing two shows. He was doing an e- an early evening show and a late evening show. Back in the days when they used to do that, like a matinee show and an evening show, because obviously the tickets had gone well. And Leonard said, "Well, why don't I do two shows? Right. You know, we'll add a show. We'll add a show." Yeah. And so we went to the to the to the added show, I suppose, which was the afternoon show. And my cousin uh, was epileptic. Uh, most of the time he was pretty stable, but sometimes he would he would uh, go into fits randomly. And during famous Plurenko. Leonard, and because my cousin was so excited also with me, we were in like row, row five uh, of this uh, boxing stadium, which had been converted for the concert. And during Flemish Lorenco, my cousin went into spasm and we had to get him out. Oh, you know? wow. And so the John's ambulance came over to us. And because the song is so tender and quiet, Leonard stopped the song and said, is that boy okay? And we were taken out and wow. a man with a, you know, with a, with a pass which mm-hmm. we now know as a tour manager or something, came to us at the door when the ambulance came to get my cousin and said, if he's okay, here's two tickets for the next show, which was later on that night. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. So and how we, old was your cousin at the time? My cousin was probably 19. And he's the, he's the cousin who gave you the Leonard Cohen record yeah, in he's the first the place. Yeah, guy so. who introduced me to Leonard. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so we went to the hospital. My cousin was given a pill or whatever he was given. And he, like, it was really, the, we didn't, by the time we got to the hospital, he was fine. Right. You know, these things came on and he was fine. So we came, we were so excited. We came to the next show. We queued up with everybody. We got in and they put us in a box. Oh. There was like a fancy box. And they put us in this box and they were what? like, are you okay? You know, and, and then after the show, Leonard came up. To the, the box? The show ended and the guy said, wait here for a moment. And Leonard came up to the box and shook my cousin's hand and asked him, was he okay? And he shook my hand. And I was shaking Leonard Cohen's hand and I was just like, this is, this is it. This is actually, not only do I get to, to see how great it can be, I get to meet the man. I get to touch the flesh that wrote the songs. Right, You know, yeah. And I know that that might sound a little sycophantic, but what it actually really is, that was the moment when I really absolutely truly knew that I would do music as a living, that I would follow it, that this was, this was a blessing, almost like meeting a priest, you know, like meeting a, a, a like a, you know, a, a, a holy man. Was it also you know? like, this is when you meet the person who's created this kind of beautiful, magical thing and you meet the flesh and blood person and you realize that like, this is 
also a person, like a human, and I am a human. Yes. And so if a human, it, this was not created by like a mystical being, this mystical thing. Yeah, this was yeah. de- actually just created by a human, and mm. I too am a human, and I can mm. do that. Was that? No, it wasn't. Okay. I was I was much more in the this is this is really mystical and, okay, and okay. It, yeah no because I was young and I, of course my imagination was going to take it in all different directions, and then about three years ago, uh, in Gijon, in in Spain, Leonard was given an award, uh, which was a Life in Letters mm-hmm. award, and I was asked would I go and sing for him. He was going to be in the audience and oh wow, and I got to sing Famous Florenco. <laughs> With Leonard listening, uh-huh. and afterwards I got to I got to tell him this little story. Now he didn't remember, mm-hmm. but that that is not important. What's important is that I got to say to him, "When I was 15 years old, you sang that song, and and I met you, and I shook your hand, and my cousin, you know, when we went to the hospital and came, and uh, it was just so important for me to have that circle be be complete, you know. And he was so gracious, and he listened to every word I had to say. That's an amazing story in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, that's just like. Huge. So at the time it was like being blessed by the Holy Man. Like I mean, I've received the blessing and now I can go on and Life is how you perceive it, right? I mean, yeah. you know, if if I if I meet Leonard Cohen when I'm 15 and I see a holy man who's given me permission, then that's what life is. Yeah. And that's what it was. <laughs> so it was a, it was an incredible experience. So when you started writing songs on your own, were you writing songs at that, I was at writing, that age? Yeah, I was writing songs because I was really into Dylan too. And, and it never occurred to me when I first learned guitar, it never occurred to me that you wouldn't write songs. It was just part of what you must do. Right. I think sometimes people have different experiences. Like there are some people who fall in love with the guitar yeah. and they just want to know how to play it yeah. and learn everything about it. And those guys become the players. Yeah. And then there are some people who fall in love with the process of writing yeah which is a whole other thing makes a lot of sense actually yeah um but did you at what point i mean did you ever try to like write your own famous blue raincoat or like or sit down and say like i'm going to try to transmit this particular feeling of cold lonely city well, much more that, to be honest, much more trying to create an atmosphere, not, not ever, I mean, of course, trying to get to a place in a song where a song has a, see, the thing with Leonard is he, he, he has such confidence as a, as a poet and as a, there's something in those recordings that just exudes, and I really do believe that there's so much more we're hearing, like, you know, audiences are very intelligent, their intelligence goes beyond knowing what the notes are, you're feeling something really deep. So whatever's coming off that record has such incredible confidence uh, and resolve. Leonard has such resolve in his in his position as a because his his music never to me comes off as uh, desperate or sad or it always comes off as hugely confident, right? In its in its darkness, mm-hmm. you know, and so so there you know I, I guess I, I I mean I would love to think that at some point. I've recorded something that maybe someone would hear that in, but I could never, ever know if that's, you know, that's, you know, Leonard could never know that famous Renko has that atmosphere. Right. You know, yeah. For yeah. me. I guess you, you always try to transmit that emotion and you're, you just always try. You yeah. can never really know. You for never sure. know. Wow. So if it weren't for a famous blue raincoat and meeting Leonard Cohen, is it possible that you would have gone down another path or do you think like eventually you would have always become a songwriter? Uh, well, music was already something I was deeply connected with and very excited by. Uh, 
I mean, I was reading actually uh, uh, as a as a as an aside when I was reading the the I'm Your Man, the Sylvie Simmons biography. Uh, he talks about the raincoat itself. Oh. There, there was a real raincoat. There was a, an actual famous. Yeah, and this raincoat. is fascinating to me. He talked about when he lo- when he moved to London first. His um, parents had lent him some money or given him some money, and he'd also gotten some money from the Canadian government because of his uh, poetry. Mm-hmm. They gave him a kind of a stipend, if you like. And he went into the Burberry store in London, and he bought the Burberry blue raincoat. And he decided he'd buy himself a raincoat because London, the weather was so bad that he would buy himself one decent piece of clothing. And they still sell it. <laughs> they do. It hasn't really? changed. It's the same design that it's always been. And it's one of their standard things. I mean, you know, going to a Burberry, I mean, I went into a Burberry store to check it out because- To actually see the, I like, wanted to this see is it. the same raincoat yeah. that Leonard Cohen- And if you, if you look at pictures about. of Leonard back in that period, he's wearing a dark blue <laughs> You know, and it's got a belt and it's tied. You know, yeah. you look at look look up images, and you see, it and it's the Burberry raincoat, and they still sell it. So it's in all the stores now. Oh, and uh, and I've gone in and tried one on, and you know, I haven't bought one, but I've tried one on, and of course, I don't need to buy one. I don't. It's, it wouldn't suit me, but it uh, it, it it still exists. I think that's how just, close have you come to buying one? Have you like very close actually? Uh, yeah, very close. Purely as a fan, uh, I came very close. But I mean, they're like fifteen hundred euros. <gasps> they're like really expensive for a raincoat. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Burberry. I don't know, but Burberry is fancy, uh, but uh, they really are expensive. But they really are very beautiful. Yeah, well, they better be for fifteen hundred dollars. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about this. Thank it's a really you. beautiful story, and um, I appreciate it. And have a great rest of your tour. Thank Thanks. you. I will understand you. I will serve you well. When you leave me Stand out in parallel And below me you can hear Just to be the one from Didn't He Ramble Which to me really has a vibe I mean I can see the color like dark blue And I can smell smoke and fog When I listen to that song If you know what I mean And I loved that he had this magical experience around famous blue raincoat. I mean, he heard a song and then he went to see the writer of the song. And during a playing of the song, something happened that ended up getting him an audience with the creator of the song, which in turn got him this kind of blessing. I mean, like actual magic. It's really, really a beautiful story. And honestly, right as we were walking out of the interview, I said something like, whoa, you're a really lucky guy. And man, I wish I had had a microphone to record Glenn Hansard's response because he started talking about that experience, not in terms of luck, but in terms of putting your desires out into the world and like manifesting your own destiny, as it were. And And I just wish that I'd gotten that on tape, but who knows? Maybe one day we'll sit down again in the future and talk about that. Next up is Gina Chavez. She's an Austin artist who also has an epic creative landscape going on. She released a record in 2014 called Uprooted, and it's really, really 
good. I mean, she's really, really good. She won Musician of the Year at this year's Austin Music Awards, and she doesn't just play music. She also has a social justice component to everything she does. For instance, her CD release was not just like, come out and hear my new CD, but it was a fundraiser for a nonprofit. She started with her partner Jody called Niñas Arribas, which raises money to send girls from El Salvador to college. Um, she and some members of her band are cultural ambassadors for the U.S. State Department. She just got back from France as part of the ATX6 group. I mean, she does a ton of stuff. And if you're wondering what a Gina Chavez performance is like, then you're in luck because NPR just released her Tiny Desk concert. And you can see and hear how good she is and how good she makes you feel when you go watch that. Well, for her song, she didn't choose just one song. She chose a genre of music that she heard when she was abroad in college. And it struck her so hard that she felt like she needed to bring it back to the people in the States. And in doing this, she totally ended up finding her authentic voice. So here she is, Gina Chavez. I think it's hard for me to pick a track because, you know, when I went, so I went to, I went to the University of Texas mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I fell in love with Patty Griffin, you know, like, like a lot of, well, any, like anyone should fall right, in love right. with music. They should fall in love with Patty Griffin. Ain't no talking to this man, ain't no pretty other side, ain't no way. Understand the stupid words of pride. It would take But especially being a female, you know, somebody that was writing you know, just such hard-hitting lyrics, but relatively simple guitar parts, you know, and so me picking up guitar at 18 when I was at UT, it was kind of easy to Easy to mimic easy her. Easy to enter. You know, kind yeah, of it was an into, easy intro. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, her lyrics were just phenomenal. And then Anita Franco. And then, you know, I fell, I totally fell in love with Nickel Creek. Chris Thiele and Nickel really? Creek. Oh my God. Yes. I oh, love their music. When you soar into the air, I'll be solid ground. You know, it's always definitely more in the singer-songwriter singer-songwriter folk. Even like, I mean, Nickel Creek isn't like straight up bluegrass, but they've got they're know. kind of deconstructed bluegrass. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, their roots are bluegrass, obviously. For sure. Um. You know, so those were kind of the ones that really, you know, like started developing me as a songwriter. And then I went to Argentina and then everything just changed because I heard this particular music called um, a chacarrera. Adentro. So chacarrera is like a six count folkloric rhythm from Argentina um, and there's a certain like clap that you do to it and it's it's folk music but it's Latin 
Is there like a particular artist that does? You know, so, okay, so one of the things about Chacarrera, it's not only seen within this particular movement, but it was used within a movement in Latin America called Trova music or Nueva Cancion. Okay. And that was, a, you could almost call it, you know, the equivalent of the Greenwich Village scene here. So like politically... Politically charged, social justice oriented, you know, folk music. Was it was it coming out around the same time as... Is you that know, like in the 60s and 70s? And that's the thing is, you know, I've I've dabbled in the players of that movement, but I've never really just like head on... Falling you know, down the hole. Falling down the hole, yeah. But Mercedes Sosa was one of the huge voices that came out of that movement. She was from Argentina. And so her music in particular is one that I would point to, like Todo Cambia, which is a song that I cover. Um, La Masa, which is another song that I occasionally cover. Um, Solo Le Pido Adios. Like there's a lot of really amazing songs. And her voice is just one of those epic voices. When you hear it, you just, oh. And then a lot of these, sometimes you can find live versions of her songs and you can just hear people singing along and just the oh my gosh can you describe yeah, and actually, like I've got my little drum here. I don't even know if we can, oh. we can mic it up. Um, oh, well, but what, could you describe, like, in words, is there a way to describe, like, what it is about it? Or is it more just, like, it's kind of it's a, a feeling? Well, I mean, yeah, you could, you know, it's essentially, like, you, the way you count it, I mean, you could count it in three, four. Mm-hmm. But the feel of it, um, it's almost more like a gallop or, like, a heartbeat. So it's, like, bat, dun, bat, dun, da, da, boom, bat, boom, da, da, boom, da, boom. You know, so like it's it's got this real like kind of a kind of a gallop, like I said, or like a charging kind of kind of rhythmic feel. Yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, and then later and, you know, once I kind of already discovered that stuff, I think, you know, I can definitely point to a song. It's called Latino America by Calle 13. By Calle 13. It's one of my favorite. Oh, my God. Oh, my Uh, God. I used to. And that's a chacarera. Is that a chacarera? Because I would put it on in the gym. I'm a big yes. Calle say fan. Yeah, and like, girl. I would put it on in the gym <laughs> and just like start crying because you feel like you just want to be like, I mean, I'm not even Latin, but I was like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Latino America. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's that's a that's a gorgeous song. Oh my god, that song! Like, and that also really—it was that album of theirs, Entren los que quieran, that I totally started to fall in love with hip hop. Yeah, I mean, and, they do beautiful things. Calle Teresa does beautiful, and they've come a long way. I mean, they started off as like a crass, like young you know, super dirty songs. I mostly just know that the record that you're talking about. But they've definitely, so they actually took, I think a year and a half off their career and they traveled around Latin America and that's where that album came from. And that's where that song came from. Because that album, I mean, it has La Bala, which is about bullets. Mm -hmm. 
and um and my favorite literally is de, de los pobres see and oh there's gosh, that one yeah. i mean there's so many good songs on that record el martillo impacta la aguja la explosión de la pólvora con fuerza empuja movimiento de rotación y traslación sale la bala arrojada fuera del cañón con un objetivo i mean it, it sounds like before the music that you were listening was um, you know, it was folk music, but it wasn't it was particularly happier. <laughs> it was happier. But it wasn't. It didn't have like a real political consciousness at its base. And you seem to have like we were talking about all these things you're doing, and you're becoming a, um, a musical ambassador for the United States. Is that is that the term? Uh, yeah, I think cultural ambassador. Cultural ambassador. Yeah. And I, you know, my first thought was that that's really part of your kind of mission as an artist. Like you have a very, um, just like a real political and social justice bedrock for your music i mean you have nina soribas and you do a lot of work around that was do you was it that music that kind of like ignited that fire in you or or began to like spark that flame you know it's funny i think it all kind of happened maybe around the same time i i wrote a song i was in chemistry class here at ut <laughs> Being a journalism major, you can <laughs> you can expect that I was paying attention. No, um, no. So I remember being in chemistry class, and at the time I, w I was a journalism major, and I was doing a a beat on back when they still had beats. Uh, I was doing a beat on the homeless. A beat being like beat like a series of stories series on of stories, the same not, topic. Not a not like a drum not like a beat, beat down. Bit, yeah, <laughs> or a beat down. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, back when they had beats and people knew what those were. <laughs> um, no, and I wrote this song called St. Anthony that essentially was about the homeless. And so I, th I think it was all kind of together. It was it was me being at the University of Texas and just broadening my horizons, you know, as college life can do. You know, I think that's one of the best possible things about university, about college, is that it just opens your world. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I grew up here in Austin, but... You know, I didn't, I don't know. It was like coming here, especially living on campus. I was, you know, I had uh, the privilege of being able to live, live right. on campus. I know a lot of people, you know, may not be able to do that. And, you know, just really experiencing a whole different life. And, you know, I got to know a lot of the kids that um, hang out on the drag, a lot of the homeless youth that hang out on the drag. And I would just see them every day and I would talk to them. And, right. you know, so I think that stuff kind of started changing my heart. And this is right around the same time that I'm learning guitar and playing music, you know. And then you go to Argentina. And then I go when, to Argentina. Is that, was that during college that you went to yeah. Argentina? Mm-hmm. And then you hear this music and it kind of stylistically... Yeah, so the, the the thing I loved about the Latin folk music was I'd never... I remember when I first heard it, the first, you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, what is this? You know, and I've never really felt that way about, you know, Tejano music or Ranchera. And as much as I really am starting to love that now... Mm -hmm. You know, like in Spanish, you would say, no me llama la atención. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't call to me. Yeah. Um, but the Chacarera, just like instantly, I remember thinking, I have to bring this back. Like, this is too cool. Because, you know, people start clapping to it, and it's just so cool. And it's funny because I would play this song in Brujo, and it would literally be the only Spanish song I would do. I'd be playing at, like, Mozart's coffee shop, and no I one's paying attention oh to you. Oh, my gosh. And, like, like, they would just look at their computers the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, 
know, inevitably, and I'm, you know, playing for a pretty gringo audience, and inevitably a couple people would come up to me after my set and they'd be like, hey, do you have any more of that flamenco stuff? <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, well, it's not flamenco, but uh, yeah, I'm working on it, you know? And people have just always loved the Latin stuff that I do. They've responded know? to it. They've really yeah. responded to it. Yeah. And I, you know, and then I finally kind of took a step back and I was like, well, I love doing that and they love it. So let's do more of it, you know? Well, and it's interesting too. It's like that emotion of like you hear or that feeling that you got when you heard, I'm going to go for it. A chacarera. Oh. Hey. A chacarera for the, you know, when you hear it and it kind of hits you like in some center of your being and just like all your cells feel alive and yeah. you think, what is this? And then, and then you think I, I, I need to bring it back and like share this feeling with other people that's such a good instinct to mm -hmm. follow I think and I it seems to have proven to be a really great instinct in your case but yeah. um well and I also think it's funny because that song Saint Anthony that I wrote about the homeless when I look at my first album the songs that people responded to were Embrujo mm -hmm. you know this one that we were talking about and Saint Anthony and Saint Anthony is you know probably the most there were a lot of other songs that maybe kind of on a spiritual realm, you know, talking about, you know, my Catholic faith or something like that. Um, there, w there was kind of an absence of love songs on that record. Oh. But, um, but St. Anthony was another one that people to this day still love, you know, and I think it's because it has that message. So it was really me kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, what is really working for me here? And at the same time, like, my heart was in that. So it was like, wow, isn't it interesting that the songs that I most connect to are also the songs that everybody else is most connecting to? So let's just, you know, no holds barred. Like, let's just go let's down just that go path. Let's just go down this yeah. path and see where it leads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, um, I don't know. I think, what is it when they say where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need? You know, mm -hmm. and that's exactly where you should be. You know, it's kind of finding, like, when when you meet somebody that's so passionate about what they're doing, you can't help but be oh, excited about it. Yeah. Even if it's not something that you would normally be excited about, you know? Cambia lo superficial Cambia también lo profundo Cambia el modo de pensar Cambia todo en este mundo Cambia el clima con los años Cambia el pastor su rebaño and below us is Todo Cambia. It's a beautiful version of this song. She duets with Eliza Gilkinson, and honestly, I always tear up a little when I hear it. And I love this story because it seems like so many pieces fell into place around the same time with her music. I mean, stylistically and thematically, they... You had this folk music meeting her expanding social consciousness, and all of that came together to create her sound, and really came together to create her sound because she led it, and she followed those feelings of, like, this is right, and this is what I should be doing. And that's beautiful. I'll have links to her Tiny Desk concert, as well as a link to that set that Glenn Hansard did in Studio 1A and to the rad video that we have up at View House of his performance in Studio 1A. Because now that you've heard them talk, you really need to hear their music and see them play that music. Nothing is better. And that's it. We've come to the end of yet another This Song episode. 
This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 Austin. This episode was produced and edited by myself, Elizabeth McQueen, David Sanger, and Art Levy. The interviews were recorded by Cliff Hargrove and Jake Perlman. And special thanks to Peter Babb, who books all the bands in Studio 1A. And we have like 300 a year. And we record them all. Yes, it's true. And sometimes we have videos. So yeah, go check out KUTX.org. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof Afro Beat. Yes. You can email us at this song at KUTX.org or tweet us at this song KUTX. You can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, liner notes, song of the day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes, or follow us on Stitcher. And hey, we know you're busy, but if you have a moment, We'd love a rating or a review for any of the podcasts. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.